I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Three consecutive Premier League wins with 17 goals in six outings this calendar year. We're looking at the goals in boot of Rasmus Hoyland, the goal-scoring form of Scott McTominay, and much, much more on the latest episode of your Streddycast. Hello, hello, hello. Sean, Dale and Brian are back with you this week to digest another win for Eric Ten Hag's Reds ahead of a trip to Luton Town on Sunday. Now lads, Villa Park was never going to be a cushy affair and United were certainly made to work throughout the 90 minutes. But I think it was a determined performance from the side and I suppose one that highlighted a bit of backbone. But more importantly, an ability to be able to embrace some form of adversity. As well as that, it was a first away win against a top nine side under the guidance of our Dutch maestro. Now, we do have much to discuss today. And this is a side unbeaten in 2024, boys. With 10 points from a possible 12 in the Premier League. What did you make of the game? Um, Enjoyable. Showed a bit of grit. Um, Just showed we were able to dig deep when it it mattered. You know, we're coming up against a good side. Villa, give Villa their applause. They're a good side under, under Emery and... It was a tough game, like pre- previously before the game started, I was watching it, or I was leading up to the game, I was going, this is going to be a really, really, really tough ask. Um, we've had two back-to-back wins, we've played fairly well in those. But I thought Villa was a really pivotal game for the rest of the season for us. I mean, again, as you said, first win against a top nine side away from home. Odds weren't exactly in our favour, playing against the side that's playing really good football. And... Uh, I just, I, I, you know, I get, I always joke that I get blindly optimistic the closer we get to the game, but for some reason I was kind of just nervous about this when I said, Jesus, this is, people mightn't think this is a, that big a game, but it is, it's a really big launch pad for the rest of the season because if we can go three back to back, be a good side like Villa, a bit of confidence starts to eke back into the dressing room again. And we mentioned it in the last podcast, that, that confidence grows throughout the squad and 
that gives you a little bit of a bounce. And when you have that bit of confidence in the dressing room, it changes the dynamic on the field because if you're after going through three or four or five shit games and everyone's head is down and before the game, you're inside the dressing room and you're listening to directions and you're like, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, yeah, Asher, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. And you're kind of just naturally human nature, a bit demoralized and a bit fucking pissed off, whatever. And you're hoping things go better. But if you're coming in after a couple of wins, a bit more of a pep in your step and you're a bit more expressive with your football and a bit more free flowing and a bit more willing to take chances and, and, and to oh, just express yourself through how, you, how you're playing the game. And I think we did that. You know, I think we played well that way. Um, Harry Maguire was was probably a question mark over Harry. How was he going to sit back into that side again? And, and fairness to the fella. And I, I did argue with one of the lads beforehand. We were on about Maguire coming in, and I, I, I backed him to him. I said, look, don't think Maguire has really done a whole lot wrong since he came back into the side. And he made a lot of people eat their words again the weekend. He was he was really, really good in fairness to him. Um, I just, do you know what, Sean? I came away from that match thinking, I just fucking enjoy watching that again. You know, I enjoyed watching United the weekend. I enjoyed the last couple of games. I enjoyed seeing him score a few goals and watching Rasmus Hyland and Cobby and watching Casemiro absolutely baffled as to why he's being booked and the, the, the late winner and the lads going into the into the crowd and that that picture the image United put up like not a single phone to be seen amongst a single fan everybody going absolutely batshit crazy I mean that that's what football's about that's what that's the moments you live for in football is that lovely late winner crowd goes mad you're in a, you're in a traditional cracking football ground Villa Park is one of the finest grounds in, in England to go to a match and it always will be it's a brilliant away end it's a brilliant football ground and to get a result like that against them is absolutely brilliant and it shoved it right up in two because I, I think you remember seeing one of their staff giving it loads on the sideline yeah. and Douglas Louise doing a little bit of a fucking a little bit of a, a, a little shimmy shake thing he won't be doing that again the cheeky little cunt you lose away to Villa and they go 11 points clear United and I would have thought that would have been curtains closed for our top four hopes Whereas now we're still very much in the mix. You know, we're six points off Spurs who are in fourth. Villa are five points clear. And I think they're really within touching distance because they suffered the injury on Sunday to Kamara, who's now for the rest of the year with an ACL. That's a big blow. And they they go to Fulham this weekend, which won't be an easy trip either. So, And there's also question marks as well about whether fifth place gets Champions League, which I think is up in air till till we see who wins the Champions League and how like some Man City do in Europe. But but as for United's top four hopes, that game it absolutely hung on it. I thought United played well. It wasn't um as gung ho as I suppose we would have wanted to brush aside these teams, but Villa are decent. They played well. They created a lot of chances like West Ham did against us the previous week when we won 3 0. So we are giving away chances. Um, I, I'd argue our structure is a lot better, and you know we can see that the, the the team is definitely developing. One trait that I like, even without Martinez, is that the defense defended as a unit together. They celebrated some of their tackles. Dallo um, didn't get a mention yet, but I thought he was really, really good. He's in top form at the moment, and he's answering a lot of a lot of a lot of critics' questions. I think Sean, um, in a second, you might want to talk about Dallo because you're someone that that's taken a lot of stick for defending him um, or basically maybe seen some of his traits um, when others didn't. And I think he's in top form right now, not just going forward with his cross for the winner, but defensively, uh, a number of clean tackles. So you can see he's adding that to his game. So overall, look positive. Um, 2-1, come from behind, 
getting over a bit of adversity, um, momentum is building. It's funny that you mentioned that abuse that I get over Dallo because that's almost a, it's a weekly thing. There's a, there's a chap there which he shall stay unnamed, but his consistency in attacking me over Diogo Dallo, I actually applaud him. It's, it's, it's impressive how consistent he is in abusing me about this. But I think when, when, when you look at Diogo Dallo, he, like many of the team, for will say, if you take what we've played so far and categorize it into two halves, I think the first half, Dallo was very poor. But as we progressed on into the second half of what we played, I do think that Diogo Dallo has improved. I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination he's perfect. I see that there's people really, really kind of going over the top on social media that we have this world-class fullback in Diogo Dallo. I don't think we have a world-class fullback in Diogo Dallo, but I certainly think we have a guy who first and foremost gives everything when he's playing. And that's evident. I think it's maybe a little bit over the top when he starts celebrating and fist pumping and banging chests with his fellow defenders when he gets a, a good tackle in there. But when you look back, was it against Villa or was it against West Ham? I think it was against West Ham and Jared Bowen broke. He broke a gut to get across and he pulled in a worldly of a tackle. And Dalo does have that in him. You know, he, I mean, he, he, he tries his very, very best and you know me now, when I get into tactics, I could just go off on an absolute rant about it. But he very much is deployed as an inverted midfielder. He's, he's, he's not really playing as a fullback. He does provide support on the right when he's, when he's overlapping, but he's acting as another midfielder or another 10. And for me, I think he deserves every single bit of applause he's getting for his performances in the last few weeks still. Just on some of the praise he's been getting and, you know, hyperbole and all that. But Steve Warnock from Liverpool fullback was talking on Sky Sports and said that he's the, as things stand, the, the best crosser in the Premier League, which I, I thought was a bit silly. Yeah, yeah, I saw that there in Match of the Day. For, he's good. It, 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 it's, it's nice to get it. It's nice to get it. But you've seen that Match of the Day for the last two weeks, haven't you? that they've gone into really, really detailed statistical breakdown of United's performances against West Ham and Aston Villa. And Diogo Dallo has come in for a particular applause from them. And it's, it's nice to see that because, let's face it, when we're looking at social media with Manchester United, more often than not, our players are being lamented and just criticised for everything they do. I mean, for Christ's sake, Dallo can have a good performance and still be criticised on social media. But he is trying. He's doing very well. And what's fantastic as well is his versatility because... We're going to talk about it later on in the in the context of injuries and whether or not we're going to have a fit left back. But he's a guy who can apply his trade on the left and on the right, and he does so with the very, very best visibility as much as he can. Now, hopefully he can continue to improve. But another man we have to talk about, particularly when we have the proprietor of the fan club in this room with us right now, is Scott McTominay. And he was introduced in the 73rd minute of the game against Villa, replacing Marcus Rashford, who, in fairness to him, delivered a notable performance on the day. But for many, and like so many substitutions week after week, the substitution was, was viewed as an odd one, and individuals immediately looked to voice their concern. But as we've seen on more than one occasion this season, lads, the Scott netted the winner only 13 minutes later, and it was after a devastating cross from the aforementioned Diogo Dallo. Now, on social media earlier on, I thought this was hilarious because I was earlier referred to as a member of Prisoner of the Moment FC, if you've ever heard the likes of that, and that was for suggesting Scott McTominay's value as an impact squad player. Now he's got eight goals and two assists in 28 appearances this season, and for me, he's becoming a necessary cog in this United squad. How upset are you, firstly, 
both of you, that you have not been classified as members of this prestigious prisoner FC. And Brian, just how valuable is McTominay to this squad in going forward? Well, given I called him a striker a good while ago, I should be part of that. Um, this prisoner FC thing, I don't even know what it means, but it's just, it's. I'm, I'm probably glad I'm not part of it. It doesn't sound like a, a cult that I want to be in, but the cult that I am in and a cult that I started myself as the founder of the Scott McTominay Appreciation Society, it brings a wry smile to my face when things like this happen on the weekend because there's an element of our fan base who go in on Scott McTominay so much, constantly slating the shit out of him. And it was a, there was a great tweet by someone I shared there the other day, yesterday, I think, saying any other club, a player like Scott McTominay would be supported and lauded and appreciated and loved. But not with us for some reason. It's very, very strange. You're a strange fucking fan base. Love tearing lads down. Scott McTominay, as much as I love him, and look, I do, it, it borders on ridiculous sometimes, but I also understand the fact that he is limited in his ability. He's limited in his, in his talent. But he absolutely fucking loves Manchester United. Just to listen to Scott McTominay speak, who might I add was the one, was the, 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 the lamb sent out to the slaughter many a time after games when when other people wouldn't speak to the media and we weren't playing very well, he came out and faced them. And he was a young lad at the, at the time, fresh-faced, still willing to come out and, and talk and spoke very, very well. And he speaks very maturely and he gets his point across well. And he, he has a knack of explaining what it means to play for Manchester United. And to be fair, I think he's a knack of showing what it means to play for Manchester United because he's got fucking savage heart. He's got such great heart and determination. And I know he's not Zinedine Zidane. I know he's not Roy Keane. I know he's not world-class calibre. But you go back to the successful teams of Manchester United of old, and they always had a player like this. Always had a Darren Fletcher, who wasn't a world-class player by any means, but he'd work his bollocks off you. Certain games suited the game. Go back to the G-Sung Park. Again, lovely footballer. Didn't set the world alight with talent, but worked his fucking socks off. Gave you certain elements and aspects of his game that added to the side. Go back to the likes of fucking Phil Neville, John O'Shea. Call them utility players if you want, in a way. You could fit him into different systems and styles and they helped and they worked. Scott McTominay, to get to the place we want to get to is not starting material for Manchester United. And that's being brutally honest. I think he knows that himself. But Scott McTominay as an impact sub or, or, or a, a spoiler coming off the bench when you're under, when you need a goal or you need something to, to happen, he's a fucking brilliant, brilliant option. I mean, Go back to Marwan Fellaini, who retired recently. There was a plan B where Fellaini ended up being a striker or fucked up top and just lob a ball into his head. McTominay offers you a hell of a lot more than that because he's got a lot of ability to burst through a defence and he's probably at his best at pace playing one-twos, running at players. He's not great sitting in the McFred double pivot. <laughs> fucking shite. He's just brilliant bursting through and he's brilliant on the end of a cross and he gets involved in the box. His goals have attributed to 30% of our points this season, which is a fantastic stat to look at. And he's our top scorer in the league. So it's undeniable that he has a, a role in this squad. He has a play, a part to play and he's got a place in it. And if that's if that's coming on with 20 minutes left and there's there's tired legs out there and you inject a fully fit, energetic McTominay in there, he can do damage and he can cause serious hassle. He can come on as a second striker to play beside Rasmus or he can come on as like a kind of a give Bruno a rest job and sit in there in a 10 situation. He's, he's a fantastic option to have 
I think he has a great role to play in the squad, but I'm also realistic enough to say that, you know, he's not a starting 11 player, but you need, football's about a squad. People seem to forget this. We played 60-odd games a season. I mean, you need to have a full squad to rotate, to cover injuries, to change things up, to come on again, as I said, with 20, 15, 20 minutes left and the other team is starting to tire out and you need a goal. Bring it on a player like Scott McTominay. is a fucking great, great weapon to have in your arsenal. So... To the lads that can't stand them and want to get rid of them, grow the fuck up a small bit and understand that football doesn't work that way. You need a squad and you need to have players to come off the bench. The bench is as important as a starting 11 at times because if you can't change things up and you can't tactically alter things, you're in trouble. You can't just be one-dimensional through a whole game. It's not the way football works. So give him a fucking break and, and back the lad. Give him, give him a bit of praise when he's due it and just fucking just stop being so inclined to fucking rip a, a fella to shreds. I mean... He's not a fella that's gone on social media and never badmouthed the club. He's never misbehaved. He's never brought disrepute to the club. He's never had any personal issues. Why would you possibly go at someone like that? I mean, he's a, relatively a model professional and he's a fucking fantastic Manchester United player and he absolutely loves the club. So lay off him a bit, boys, and give him a bit of fucking support because he's a, he's a class lad and I, I love having him in the squad. Just on that, because he, he there was a few issues at the beginning of the season when... I think the manager had expressed that he had his limitations and there was there was kind of a, a, a phase where it looked like McTominay didn't really have a future at Manchester United. Now, he was upset by that, understandably, because he didn't want to leave Manchester United. He probably felt he was being pushed out the door and, you know, that doesn't necessarily, you know, we can understand that like as well. But his response since then has been absolutely unbelievable because he has worked tremendously hard to find a role in this team. Now, there's a combination of factors here. I think Ten Hag deserves a lot of credit as well, because I think he's identified a role in the team for McTominay. Now, we're, we can all agree, I think, hands up, that he's not a starter and he shouldn't be for the, where we want to get to. But if McTominay can find a role in this team, well, that's just such a, a boost to us. It gives us an option off the bench. I th- I've all, I've always kind of said it that he's more of a striker than he was a midfielder. I think in midfield he either goes he goes hiding, he goes missing, he gets lost in games. Whereas when he's asked to play in around the box, he's not the most clinical, but he's an absolute nuisance. He's annoying, you know. And I think in the last few weeks we're going to talk about structure. Obviously we've played a bit more four four one one with um when when McTominay came on, he played behind Highland. And that's a massive threat for defenders. They don't know what to do with those two inside the box. So, yeah, I think he deserves credit. I think Ten, ha- Ten Hag deserves credit. And it's just nice, lads, with all this kind of positivity and a good run of form at the moment. Um, you, you, can, you can really see some development in even some of our players. You know, there's Highland we're going to talk about as well. There's, there's development all happening all around the team. I just think it's really, really promising. You know, you, you've hit something on, on the head there. There was a little bit of an issue about McTominay at the start of the season. There was a question about his attitude and he was pissed off and that, this, that and the other thing. Does it not show how much he cares? He was being fucked out the door for financial fair play reasons. And I understand, again, I understand why United were trying to do this. Because if you refer back to our, our podcast with Duncan Drasdow and, and Chris, they explained the financial fair play ramifications and the problems that we're facing and the probably long-term issues we're going to have to deal with. So I can probably understand why the club thought about doing it. But it also shows on the flip side, he was fucking raging. He was absolutely fuming. Because... 
Scott McTominay wants to play for Manchester United. He has done everything he can to play for Manchester United and he didn't want to fucking leave. And as you said, he dug, he, he was pissed off and I can appreciate that and I can respect the fact that he was fucking sour because at the end of the day, if someone's going to take a dream away from you and you don't want to give it up, you're not going to be fucking happy about it. But Look at his response since then. Look, yeah, he got, o- he got over his, his, his couple of fucking attitude drops or, or his, his mood or his pissed off with like, it wasn't a mood as in like I don't give a bollocks. It was a mood as in I want to be here. I want to fucking play for this team. I want to play. I want to be wearing this jersey. And he came back in, and he's, as you said, Dale. He, Eric is Eric Ten Hag has identified a role that he fits effectively, and it looks like Scott is for now happy with that. Like again, give him credit. Like it's back to the Maguire situation. Maguire fucking took pelters all over the place. Lost the captaincy. Dug deep. Now he's back in the mix again to play for Manchester United and he's playing fucking damn well. People seem to forget these things. I mean, it baffles me. It baffles me why people would pick on people that want to play for Manchester United more than anything else. They literally are fucking chomping at the bit to play for this club. And you've got lads going on about, let's sign Ivan Tony, who's just admitted to being a Liverpool fan, who's had his arse holding his ankles with his arse up in the air for Arsenal for the last fucking three or four months. Comes back and treats Brentford like a side bitch. And that's the kind of player you want to come into the club and you want to get rid of a fella who'll fucking live, die and bleed for this club. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. It really is. And it also, it, it draws back on what we were speaking about over the last couple of weeks. I know we seem to mention his name every single episode, but it's the same with Jaden Sancho. Jaden Sancho got adversity and you saw how he responded. McTominay got adversity. Harry Maguire was faced with adversity. And the both of them came back and they did their talking on the field. And McTominay, for for what it's worth, for every conversation that I mistakenly entertain on social media, when it comes to Scott McTominay, there seems to be this flawed perception that every single player in the 25-man squad needs to be of a certain ability that if we come across the ultimate climax that we have every single player injured that we're looking at the one or two players to come in and are they fit and able to be able to lead Manchester United to the Premier League. With the very best respect to every single person that feels like every single player in a 25-man squad needs to be out there chasing a Ballon d'Or, you are absolutely living on cloud nine. There is one squad in world football, possibly two, that have that sort of ability. And I'm telling you, the amount of financial irregularities that have occurred in those clubs it's evident with the amount of investigations that are being labelled against all of them, and you know that yourself. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'd go, I'd go as far as to say there could be 115 of these potential outcomes, uh, Sean. Would that be a fair figure? Yeah, I think it might very well be a fair figure, yeah. And... Look, you can you can look at any side like that. And you can look at a squad that is jam-packed with legitimate world-class players. But you're only going to get away with it for so long and eventually a book is going to be thrown at you. There's only so many brown envelopes can get away with it. I think the book has been quite loudly dropped in Barcelona who've played that game for as long as they could and they're up to shits. Madrid are, Madrid are definitely in better shape than Barcelona. But like, again... You can't play the Galacticos game forever. It doesn't. It doesn't work out. And some clubs, quite close to ours, try to play that game by climbing a few ladders and 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 climbing a few snakes per se. So it's not as as you say. It's not possible. You need you need a balanced squad. You need people to come back into the side to give you a bit of stability. You need to have your key players. And again, what we've all amusingly smiled at recently is. Injury crisis, which obviously doesn't apply to Manchester United, but applies to every other club that we play against who has one or two lads out, even as late as Villa. Um, yeah, Ericton had got a few key players back, and all of a sudden, we're talking about three wins on the bounce. Manchester United are scoring multiple goals again. Structures changed. Play has changed. Speed of play has changed. It's not that lethargic fucking Van Gaal shit that we were watching for a while. Isn't it amazing when a club gets their players back, things can change. But again, you do need, even when you have your 11 key players on the pitch, you need to have options off the bench. You need to have players to come on and give you something. And Scott McTominay is one of those players. Simple. Exactly. And you're speaking about goals. Another man who is all about goals at the moment is Rasmus Hoyland. And as we all know, he found the net once again, extending his scoring streak to five goals in five Premier League games. And we're going to stretch it even further because we love the boys. So he's got six, including the FA Cup, doesn't he, boys? As well as that, he became the youngest player to score in five consecutive Premier League fixtures. Do the two of you know the last player that achieved that without any cheating? Anelka. Well done. Do you know what year it was? I believe he was younger too. And what year was it? 98. Well done, Dale. Well done. That's right. Nicholas and Elka back in 1998. With Hoyland, obviously, he's, he's gone through 2021 20, now, obviously. He's got five and five, six in the FA Cup. And as well as the five goals that he's got, he's got two assists to go alongside it. Now, I composed a piece back in June. It's not trying to plug that piece, but it's more so the point that I made in that. And I was highlighting how his strength in the holder play and his pace and transition was going to be key. But I also suggested that his finishing was widely underrated and that his arrival may prove to be the missing piece in Ten Hag's attacking jigsaw. I believe that was the exact words that I used. Now, in the five goals that he has scored in the Premier League, astonishingly, he's got that from eight shots. That's five goals from HR, so if that does not highlight a clinical young lad, I don't know what it is. And I know it is still early days, Dale, but this is a boy who has proved that we're not yet near approaching his impressive ceiling, are we? Nowhere near. I think he's still... I still classify him as misfortunate that he's been... that he arrived to us this season with no other centre-forwards to fall back on, and that responsibility has fallen on him. Now, I think now he's scoring goals. I think he's now getting a taste of... 
the, the, the positive sides that come with that when you're doing well. He's getting a taste of what it's like when, when things are good at United, and, and that's important. But I still think it's very early days. It's too early for us to be relying on him. It's great that we, we can at the moment, but it, it, I still think it's ridiculous that we went into this season. And the only really backup striker we had for Hoyland was Anthony Martial, who the biggest problem I have with that is the fact that he's such a bad role model. Um, and Hoyland has come in, to be honest with you, and I think the way he's carried himself, he's demanding things now from his teammates. And even though he's one of the youngers, youngest players on the pitch, I like what I see. I think he's hungry. He's got a goal, eye for goal. And it's important, too, that we got to see that this season. If it looks like he's going to be able to finish up comfortably on around 15 goals or so, but we did need to see a, uh, a teaser of, of him in front of goal because we spent a lot of money on him and you have to see something. And I think we have. I think what we can see right now, we can be quite happy and excited about the future. But Just touching on, on what you said there about him coming in, his attitude and that you don't even need to have a magic ball in front of you or a crystal ball in front of you to, to forecast the future or to look at the future and three, four, five years' time to see him as such a strong character leading the line for us, like such a personality, like a proper leader up top. Something we've missed for quite a while. And he just has that, he has that something about him. He's only a kid, but he has this something about him that he's he's unbelievably passionate. He's extremely hardworking. He's very much aggressive without being aggressive as such. You know what I mean? He's not... Not aggressive as in dirty, but he's aggressive. He's physical. He wants to get stuck in. He wants to fucking win that 50-50. It's a 60-40. He's still getting in there for it. He's, when I saw that stat, I think you posted on Twitter the other day, um, Sean, or yesterday, the day before, that he scored five goals from his last eight shots. And I'm not joking. I looked at it and I, I read it and I reread it. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. That's, that's for, for a fella that's, that we've laughed about being fed off scraps and a fella that's come in taking massive pressure in a, in a cauldron of media, fucking horrific chasing fellas down to, to batter them, coming into that kind of an, an environment and atmosphere. And to go through a goal drought and, and the usual jibes and jokes that are getting thrown around about him, he's a dud and he's this and he's that, and he never reacted to it. And now he's banging in goals, finally, thank God. He must feel very much vindicated, especially as a young lad, to come in to do this job. He must feel very vindicated himself. And he's, I just, I just love, I love his desire. I love his attitude. And the thing I love most about it, which we've just seen recently, is the relationship he's built up with the likes of Garnacho and Mano and those around him. They look like lads who love each other. Like they're, they're friendly. Like they're, they, they enjoy playing with each other. They celebrate together. They're a couple of young kids living the dream. But you know that they want to be together in the dressing room. I can imagine those couple of lads in the dressing room are just buzzing off each other and they're, they're just really enjoying their football at the moment, even though we've come off such a bad start to the season and they've probably been slated left, right and centre. They just look like they're three happy lads playing football together. So it, does, it gives me a little bit of a butterfly in the stomach to think that we could have a, a striker if he can develop. Now, again, as Dale said, he's still a young lad. He's still fresh. He's, he's still got a lot to learn and a lot to do. But... He could be possibly the answer up front that we've been looking for for so long. And if he can back up the talent and keep the, the, the strike rate going and, and, and develop the attitude that lad has, the, the mentality he has, he could be an absolute fucking powerhouse, absolute powerhouse. I saw someone trying to compare him to Darwin Nunes yesterday and I started laughing. I was like, 
give me a fucking break, boys. I wouldn't take Darwin Nunes to the bog, the foot turf. I don't mind taking him over Highland. Highland is Highland has something in him. I don't know if he's going to be special or not, but he has something. And if it if it comes off and it works out, watch out. What I really like about him, and you mentioned he has that something, is I, th- I think it's similar to Evan Ferguson at Brighton. They, these guys are really young forwards, but they've already the cut and the maturity of a senior professional, a man. You know they're they're young forwards, but they're but they're men. They're cut like men. They're warriors, and I think there's a bit of that in Highland. Um, and that's what. And I think also something that Ferguson has, and Highland shares, um, Garnacho has is all these players obviously have lots of talent. All these young lads, but but what it really takes is having the right the right head in your shoulders and the determination to really better yourself and push yourself to other levels. We've seen that in recent weeks now, where consistently with with Highland. With Menu, with Granacho, you know, if, if these guys want it, that's why they're in the team every week. They're pushing, they're pushing the levels, um, and Highland is doing that. And you mentioned these guys liking or enjoying playing with each other. It's quite funny that we're we're gloating over footballers being friends. You know, we've had a dressing room, we've had dressing rooms we haven't liked for a few years, and and players that. A bit embarrassing to be honest, but right now the crop that that's brewing under Ten Hag, um, I'm liking it. Myself and Brian touched on last week about Garnacho and <laughs> trying to ignore the inevitability of the pain that we may endure in four or five years' time when a certain club comes knocking. But I tell you something, I nearly had a stroke this morning when I read reports that Real Madrid have asked their chief scout Juni Khalifa to keep an eye on Rasmus Hoyland. And apparently they're doing so as they're keeping him as an option should they fail to sign either Kylian Mbappe or Erling Haaland. Now, while I can totally, totally appreciate the company that he's keeping alongside those two players, I don't think I'm quite ready to be speaking about Rasmus Hoyland and Real Madrid in the same sentence anytime soon. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Nathan Thomas for the Straightcast out here in Munich uh, on the week that was the 66th anniversary of the Munich Air Disaster. Listen to the podcast, might remember me. Uh, I've been on a couple of times before. Uh, I work for the Manchester United Foundation. Dale kindly invited me on to talk a little bit about what we do. Uh, and this week has encapsulated that even further. So we came out here on the Monday with eight of our participants, four girls, four boys, from our Street Reds project. So these are football community projects uh, around Greater Manchester and also a little bit further afield these days too. Uh, But they're in slightly tougher areas where kids might otherwise be tempted down different pathways, um, negative pathways, and basically we we pitch ourselves at schools uh, in community locations where kids can come down uh, with a United coach on a given day of the week and play football with the mates. All ability levels, uh, just about having fun. Is the, way, the way I say it, the most the beautiful game at its most pure, just kids enjoying themselves. So basically we selected eight kids. And again, it was it's not necessarily to do with their football inability at all. It's more a case if they were selected because good people, they're good people to have around at the projects, um, represent Man United and the foundation in the right way. So uh, we took them over on the Monday and the idea being... The foundation was set up as a legacy to the Busby Babes, obviously on the club's time on a tradition of investing in young talent, 
club obviously do it with players the foundation do it with ordinary young people just looking to build a good life for themselves so in the preamble to the trip they enjoyed a couple of workshops to learn a little bit more about the babes and about munich and the importance of the club they also enjoyed a workshop or a little chat with rachel violet the daughter of dennis violet who now lives in the states she spoke to them a little bit about her dad and her dad's experience obviously a survivor of the tragedy um, and then, yeah, they flew out on Monday and on Tuesday they uh, formed part of the ceremony. So thank you so much to MMMF for uh, including us once again. Last year we attended. This is only the second of these kind of trips, but this was the first year where we played an active part. So two of our participants laid a wreath and one of the participants read a poem. Uh, the poem was written by an academy player, an under-13s scholar, this is now something of a tradition at the memorial in Munich. Uh, and we were told that five years ago, a certain uh, Cobby Maynard was the author, uh, who I believe is doing all right at the moment. Uh, so that was a nice story. And I think, as I'm sure you'll all agree, further indication of what this club is about and, you know, what it stands for. And we do things well when we want to. So, yes, yeah, so they attended the ceremony, uh, represented us so well. Uh, the kids were aged between, I think, 15 and 17. Um, and then the rest of the trips, the first part was educational, the second part was a cultural experience. So uh, MMMF supports two local Munich youth charities, Picasso Libero and Bunkit Gut. And on the first day, Picasso gave us a nice tour of the city. And on the second, uh, they organised a rooftop football. Sorry, on the second, Bunkit Gut, the other organisation, uh, organised a rooftop football game for the kids, which they absolutely buzzed off, overlooking the beautiful city of Munich. Uh, and yeah, just kind of taking street reds to Munich for a short period of time. Uh, and then in the afternoon, it was over to the Allianz for a tour of uh, that magnificent stadium. Bayern, absolutely fantastic. As they do at the memorial, they look after it and respect it so well. That respect continued and was reached out to us. Uh, we arrived uh, to a nice little uh, uh, screen on the telly, basically welcoming the foundation. Uh, the tour was complimentary. Again, kids loved the opportunity to... to to take a look around what is a fantastic stadium for those that you've been, you'll know. Um, so, yeah, it's been a really good week for us. Um, I think the memorial itself, again, very well done, as it ever is. Uh, a, a true fan event, remembering what is a really important day in the Manchester United calendar. Um, and I think it was interesting that many of the people there were very, very happy to have... Um, the foundation there as the next generation to keep that flag flying and in fact it was quite funny because as we were walking around Munich they'd be getting serenaded with United 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 which uh, the kids enjoyed they're obviously all wearing their uh, United coat and foundation hoodie so they were easily recognisable and then on the last night just after we'd had tea they were walking out the the restaurant and just when we thought we'd um, just when we thought we'd had the last of the um, the serenading so to speak uh, they got a nice round of applause out of the restaurants for a few reds that were still still in Munich. So, yeah, a very good week. And, again, um, a symbol of the kind of things that the foundation does and the opportunities that it gives. That was, of course, the voice of Nathan Thomas from the official Manchester United Foundation. Nathan is happy to speak with anyone who may have questions about the work going on behind the scenes. It's very easy to get in touch with him. You can do so on Twitter at Nathan L. Thomas. And also through the official Manchester United Foundation 
at MU underscore foundation. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Why, hello there. You've made it this far, and you've had a few giggles along the way. But there is one more thing that we want you to do. you got to hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening right now. Let's be honest. You know yourself, your playlist is duller than a rainy night in Stoke. So why don't you let the boys from Streddycast put a smile on your face and a spring in your step? It's going to cost you nothing. And it's going to help us to make even more ridiculous content for you every single week. You know it. I had you at hello. So subscribe now and fall in love with the Streddycast. One question that is raised throughout the campaign is the structure and the style of play. It's something we spoke about midweek, Dale. But with the return of key players in recent week, are we now beginning to see fruitful shoots appearing in structure of this team? Yeah, no. And it's also a sign that the manager now has something to work with Um, in terms of, you mentioned players coming back from injury. And critics will say that a manager is also always supposed to work with what he has available or make the best of. Um, What I'd say back to that is Ten Hag is trying to assemble Aside, we already know he has a system which he'll play the players he has available in that. But until you have those key components available, the performances in that we've seen this season have, have, have raised serious questions. And we're now starting to see the answers to that, Sean. Like we're starting to see a structure in how we play. Um, I know there's criticism in we're still conceding lots of chances, but I would say that was the case against West Ham when we won 3 0. So the, diff- the biggest key difference in our attack in recent weeks is unlike the other teams, we're the ones being more clinical. Now, at the first half of the season, we were going to lesser teams. And that wasn't always the case. We were going to games where we felt where we could have got a win against Spurs away or, or Arsenal and they came away empty-handed. But now we're starting to see better performances. We're starting to see we're more clinical in front of goal and an actual structure. And I think maybe things like conceding so many chances, they'll be ironed out, hopefully, in the coming weeks when these players gain more momentum for more wins, hopefully. And just something else that I, I think it was frustrating me a little bit at the weekend, but I do understand it is 
is our slow build-up play at times. I don't think it's slow is the right word, but it is quite measured, and you're trying. We're trying to suck in the opponents, but you can also see from Villa's approach at the weekend that they were seriously threatened by Onana whenever he was on the ball. They were very. They didn't want to press him because it didn't want to suck get sucked in, um, and we, that goes to show you again of the strength he poses. And we're really making other teams think. We're not an easy team to play against. Teams that think when they come against us. It's just about us getting their application right. And thankfully, in recent weeks, it has been. A couple of concerns that I would have, not to, to, to lower the tone back to negativity by any, tense, by any stretch of the imagination, but one of the concerns myself and Sean spoke about last week is when Lissandra Martinez went out of the side again and the likes of Harry Maguire coming back in. Martinez offers that really fast-paced breakout from the back or that, that ball splitting past the midfield. So a concern is that Maguire coming back in does slow the paces of attack down or the build-up down because he, again, plays that kind of quarterback role, predominantly Scholes-esque pinging balls to the wingers and that, but he doesn't have the same kind of mentality as Martinez has in the build-up. My bigger concern would be we're after getting a lot of key players back, so it allows Ten Hag to play more kind of the football we want to play, and we've played a lot better. Yeah, we've conceded chances, but the big difference is previously we were playing all right. We were in control visually because we weren't conceding possession as much and we were, we were holding on to the ball and we looked all right. But it was a ticking time bomb that we'd give away a chance and concede a goal. And it happened time and time again. But at the moment, we're not. I mean, people were giving out West Ham with loads of chances. Yeah, but we put ours in the back of the net. That's fine. You don't give a shit about giving away chances if you're saving them or you're defending them well or whatever, or there are half chances from outside the box and you're putting your chances away. Differences, you score the goals, they don't. My my concern would be if we should happen to lose a couple of key players again, are we back to square one? Now, I'm not saying lose as many as we did, as not, not the big massive injury list that we had, but there are a certain number of players in that squad at the moment that make the team tick. Martin has being lost was one big time. Now, we've looked all right without him so far. It's only a game in. Maguire stepped in well. Luke Shaw is... Luke Shaw, I nearly fucking had a heart attack when I saw him going on. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. If we lose Martinez and Shaw at the same time, that's a massive, massive game changer in our back four because as I've fucking gone on and gone on about, the relationship between Shaw and Rashford is key. And Shaw on our left-hand side is key, both in build-up, but also in attack, because Shaw is so good in the attack, the overlaps, the one-twos, the, the, the cutting in inverted, as we call it. To lose both of them together, I think, would really, really hit us hard. Um, and again, you, you go in, and you lose another midfielder, you lose a... I can't believe I'm going to say this after after such a short time in the side, but you lose a Kabi Menu right now, and, and you lose a Shaw together. It's a big fucking hit. Like... Tin Hag is playing with one arm tied behind his back again so we kind of need to hope that Lady Luck is on our side when it comes to injuries for the next while because I think it's really really important that he keeps this good run going and that we don't get fucking shafted by a couple of key injuries again losing Martinez was bad enough but if we can keep this squad together relatively what we're seeing at the moment and add maybe one or two more back as time goes on, I think we're okay. But I think we'll I think we'll do quite well for the rest of the season because we've seen that upturn. But if we're to lose one or two key players again, I'd I'd be worried. Just the names you mentioned, Shaw and Mayno, they're players that we were out at the start of the season and we've seen exactly what kind of situation we'd be in without them. So you know, I, I think it's a massive point, the 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 injury or knock even 
the Luke Shaw took that Ten Hag took off him for precautionary reasons at the weekend. Um, for the fear of God in me, it really did because I was thinking, you know, Martinez is out. You mentioned Shaw and his influence, but the way he reads the game, his he's he's the only other out ball we have in defence. You know, you take out Martinez, I I wouldn't consider really Maguire one. They're trying to soak in pressure, soak in the opponent. Whereas, as you mentioned, they haven't got that Martinez ability to fizz passes into midfield, and so players can receive them on the half turn. And then you talk about our attacking players being in better positions because it's done quicker. It's a bit slower, and I think. Really, we just need to get used to that now after Martinez because you just can't expect uh, Fiat Ponto, like Maguire, to turn into a Lamborghini like Martinez overnight. He's not going to be able to do that. So we just have to cope with what we have right now, I feel. A concern or, or a debate we had last week was with Martinez out who replaces him. And one of the things we were both saying was, I really hope it's not Shaw being sacrificed to go into the centre-half position because he's so pivotal on the left. Then the next game, we're looking and going, well, he hasn't gone into left centre-back. We've possibly lost him through injury, which is fucking far worse. So hopefully, again, hopefully it's only a knock or a precaution. Hopefully he's back into the side at, at worst after the Luton game. But it's it's pivotal. Like it, it just shows how important one or two players can be to a side to, in our style or build-up or, or attack. And again, the couple of players we mentioned, as you said, they, they've come back. We were without them. We've changed our fortunes. We've changed our style of play. And something I lamented about for so long was I was so bored watching United play such fucking turgid football. And all of a sudden, although we're not anywhere near our best or anywhere near the most beautiful team to watch play football, we've developed, we've played a lot better and we're, we're definitely a hell of a lot more enjoyable to watch. So, But again, I just think we're we're, we're, we're on a knife edge where we're very close to going backwards very quickly if we lose one or two key players. So it, it's it's imperative that we keep the, the squad we have at the moment to keep that going and add to it as opposed to lose. And adding to it, again, Sean will have a wry smile when I mention his name, but Mason Mount, who I thought must be dead, was supposed to be back for the Wolves game. I've seen a few tweets from him, so he's definitely breathing and alive, but... Does he even own a pair of football boots at this stage, Sean? Has he forgotten how to play? What's what's going on? Is there any update on, on our Mr. Mason TikTok mount? I suppose two things. Just touching on what you were saying about Luke Shaw first. Uh, I know we're recording this now on Tuesday, but from everything that I've been told, the injury was categorised as precautionary. And there's a pretty strong suggestion that he is in line to feature against Luton at the weekend. So while I shared your uh, your moment when I saw he was taken off, I do think it was precautionary and I do think he's going to be back at the weekend. But I think this entire thing, before I get on to Mount, stems with a bigger problem that we discussed. And it was something that you made mention to, I think it was about two or three weeks ago, Brian. And then we we spoke about it in great detail about how we need to get into this Bayern kind of way of thinking. That when a player is at a certain stage, he needs to be brought to pasture for want of a better word. Now... I don't think that Lissandra Martinez is an injury-prone player. I just think he's a player who's been very, very unfortunate with the injuries that he sustained. Luke Shaw, on the other hand, if this did transpire to be a dangerous, dangerous injury, then he's only back from an injury, you know? And, and we say time and time again that the best attribute of any footballer is their availability. And if Luke Shaw was to be out for, we'll say, the six, seven, eight games that Martinez is expected to miss then Luke Shaw is a problem. When Luke Shaw is playing, he's vital. Massive, massive cogs to our attacking outlet and what he unlocks in Marcus Rashford. 
I think even just from the confidence of Luke Shaw being on the field, it makes Marcus Rashford more confident. But if he's going to be missing every other week, then I definitely think we do need to apply the, the, the point of view that you're talking about, Brian, and we do need to start looking at building a squad of players that are definitely available because when you look at this Manchester United side, I just want to say, because we're talking about injuries, we're talking about maintaining squad, we're talking about maintaining availability and just how crucial these players are. If you take any of these teams that are in the top six, take Man City, and I know Man City are laden with stars, but if you pull Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Haaland out of that side, we've seen, if you take Rodri out of that side, the damage that it causes. If you take Virgil van Dijk and Mo Salah out of Liverpool, you know, what you're doing in Manchester United, which is a huge problem and what we have, is we've, we, we, we try to build up and a huge part of our game is through build up. And if you're taking Lissandra Martinez and Luke Shaw out of that, then you're really, really getting into a situation where the manager is indeed fighting with one hand behind his back because you're replacing players that don't have the same capability in the build up. We need to start assessing this. And if it is indeed a situation that Luke Shaw is missing more time, as much as I don't want to say it because I like the player, we need to get on board that, okay, you're not available. We need to get somebody who is. Suppose, look, to highlight the left back issue, especially with Shaw's potential lack of availability. The backup coming in on the left-hand side is a big issue because Tyrone Malassia has possibly retired from football. I don't even know if he's still living in England. Um, our options are limited. We've seen seen Juan Basaka left back. We've seen Victor Lindelof left back. I mean, again, I, I, as I just said a few minutes ago, squad is important. You're going to have injuries. You need to have options off the bench. You need to have people coming in that can cover. For me, left back is a massive, massive problem because Luke Shaw's had a couple of injuries. I know... I might have unfairly suggested that we might have to look at him in the summer. But again, like you said, if we if we do lose him again for another couple of weeks and it's becoming a more recurring thing, it, it is a concern. I think in the summer, a left back is, is probably a position that we need to look at because we need to have someone capable of coming into the side at the very least a decent deputy to him with the view of the fact that he's obviously not getting any younger. So he is eventually going to leave the side and, and slow down and whatnot. But... Also, the fact that if he if he does start becoming that injury prone player, that we do have strength on the left hand side, and we're not as dependent on the fact that oh no, the tree was just shit our pants when we saw Luke Shaw going on injured, that you're not having that reaction because you know that we have player X to come in who can do a decent job, whereas we're currently looking at it going, Jesus, it's, is it going to be Victor Lindelof left back against Luton, and none of us want to see Victor Lindelof playing left back, so. Definitely a, a key area for me going into the summer is, is the left-back position. Um, the right-back position can be debated over and back about Wan-Bissaka and Dallow. Some people think Dallow is the next Cafu. Some people think Wan-Bissaka is a couple of weeks of good form and one of them is brilliant, one of them is shite, and then the opposite happens. So I don't think right-back is as imperative an issue, but the left-back situation is definitely, definitely a problem because, again, as you've just said, it brings the Marcus Rashford question into play. If Marcus Rashford loses the guy behind him who gives him confidence in his own ability to play football and, and someone who has his back and someone he can link up with, well, you get better, you get more out of Marcus Rashford. If you if you have Victor Lindelof behind Marcus Rashford, you may as well drop Rashford because he's going to do fuck all on that left-hand side with Victor Lindelof behind him. So it's definitely a position that, of, of worry for me. Um, Shaw's, Shaw's potential availability issues is an area of potential concern for me, but let's hope that he, he sees out the season and he comes back and it's availability he kind of keeps up and, and, and keeps going. But I'd definitely be looking in the summer at bringing in a left-back with a with a view to being the potential long-term relation or long-term replacement for Shaw at, at the very least. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. And that's obviously, of course, looking ahead to Sunday's fixture at Kenilworth Road against Luton. And we're going up against a side that have hit a very, very rich reign of form. They're very impressive, very exciting to watch under a manager who really has not playing all-out attacking football. If Shaw was injured, we could see Safi and Amrabat deputising at left-back like we did several months ago. But we're looking at a side that we last tasted defeat against on the 21st of April 1985. It's a bit of time ago, but this is a side that are very dangerous at the moment because they're playing with a brand of football that is truly enjoyable to watch. Are you expecting any surprises against this partisan crowd at the weekend? No, shouldn't. I think they'll be there. They'll be there and they'll be hungry to cause an upset. They're a side in form at the moment. They've nothing to lose, but you know, we're playing with momentum right now. We had a bit of a hurdle last weekend at Villa Park. We got over that. They shouldn't be any problem. I suspect this would be an easier win for United. And I, and I do hope we can you know, add to this run with a, with a, with a good performance this weekend and, and put this Luton side away. I'm going to err on the side of caution because it's been beat into me this season not to get too optimistic and too cocky going into games. But I don't know. I just I've seen Luton play games recently where I've just gone, where the fuck are these come out of? Where is this side after developing and, and growing a pair of balls and, and playing football like this? So they're they're well able to go toe to toe with a big side and they're well able to put on a performance on the day. So I wouldn't be wouldn't be overly optimistic that we're going to go in there and do a job on them. I. I'd be quite glad if we get out of there with three points, be it a 1-0 win and job done. I just, I think it's a potential banana skin. I, maybe I'm being unnecessarily negative, or not negative, but unnecessarily cautious. But I just, it's one I want to watch, yeah. Brian, surely, I get what you're saying, but say we draw the weekend. It's a massive missed opportunity. You have to be going there to get three points. You know, we be Villa. We draw points this weekend. Waste of time. 100%. 100%. And to look at the game on paper, look at the games that have come through, it should be, in inverted commas, a routine game, three points. But Premier League throws up some fucking funny games, lads. I mean, you can't you can't ignore the fact that they've they've gone out there against bigger sides and they've gone toe-to-toe to them. And they're capable of causing trouble. And they've caused headaches for people. So I'm not saying we won't. I'm just saying I'd be... A slight bit cautious of what they can do, especially in Kenilworth Road, a, a tight little ground like that. It's not, it's not the easiest fixture. It really isn't. I, I, I just hope we get through it. But our three points. I hope it's as as routine as you think it is. But fucking Luton or a plucky little side. I'll give them credit. I hope they stay up because, for a personal point of view, it was originally fixed for the Saturday, and I had highlighted to the misses that this is one game I really, really want to go to. Don't change it to Sunday, whatever you do, because my, my young lad's birthday is the Sunday. And as much as I'm given out to sometimes for going to games so much by other people, um, I couldn't really miss his birthday. So they fucking changed it to the Sunday. I was fuming. I somehow managed to get a ticket and I had to give me a ticket to someone else, which is a kick in the balls. But And then, of course, after I'd all that done, she turns around and goes, his birthday party Saturday. You can go Sunday if you want. Uh, for fuck's sake. So. <laughs> the joys of it. The joys of it. Well, look, I understand what you're saying. I think it's a, it's, it's a fixture that you would expect us to win, but there's natural apprehension. They had a 4-0 win in Kenilworth Road against Brighton. They went out the following week to travel to Newcastle. They threw away a lead and they drew 4 all. But if Manchester United are any way serious whatsoever about claiming a top four spot, 
I'll go along with what Dale is saying, and this is very much a game that United should be going out targeting to win early, gain three points, and get out of there. Now, we are at that stage, gentlemen, where we are tackling our listeners' questions. Once more, thank you very much, one and all, for all of them. As you know, we can't get to all of them because there is quite a lot. But first and foremost, we have one come through from Sabs. And Sabs is asking, if we have the funds, who would be a top priority to sign and where? And do we need a new striker and a centre-back, also a winger? Dale, who is top priority to sign if we have the funds in the summer? I can't really think of a name at the top of my head. I'll give you two positions. Need a defensive midfielder, I think, because Casemiro... You said a Casemiro? Yeah, Casemiro's future's up in the air. I think not just go out and sign someone, like get someone 25, 26, around that age bracket that can do a role for years coming in ready to prove himself at the top club, someone of that mould. Centre-back is crucial too. I'm liking the names. I'm seeing like Matthias De Litt. I know he's not going through the greatest period right now at Bayern Munich, but it's a player of absolute massive potential. And we have a vacant role in the team, I think, up for grabs there. Once Martinez is back and we're looking at our team for next season, there's a big hole there beside Martinez. And I know Varane is there right now, but I, I suspect that he'll be elsewhere come next season striker of course needed to i could go on but i think that i i'll give you a center back matthias to lit matthias to what are you thinking brian there's no name that jumps off the page to me i just uh, we debated it last week what kind of profile are you looking for in a striker you're looking for someone to come in an older striker for rasmus Hyland to to learn off of and develop off and just offer a bit of cover are you looking for someone to come in and and play side by side with him or challenge him for the spot and that, that kind of younger age bracket it's an interesting one. I don't have the answer to it. I don't even know. I honestly don't know what I want in the striker role. Um, as I said last week, if if you'd asked me this question to start of the summer or during the summer when we signed Highland, even in January, I would have said, yeah, a, a Falco kind of Cavani-esque kind of player to come in for this season. But I don't know what we need or, or what way, what direction it's going to go. It's a, it's a curious one. Um, do we need a centre-back? I believe so, yeah. And do we need a to cover all these questions? Do we need a do we need a winger? We do. Um, right wing would have been massively imperative to me before Garnacho made the transition over to the right for the last few games, where he's looking to make that spot his own. So he's reduced the pressure a small bit on that. We still we find ourselves in this funny position every summer, or, or leading into every summer, where we're like. We're just a couple of players short of being back. And it's been the same for the last 10 years. It's, uh, we're just three or four key players short of being the side we want to be. We're probably back in that position again, which is not ideal, but we def- we're definitely three or four players short. Our, our issue will be the financial fair play um, constrictions, who we can see going out the door, what funds that brings in or what funds it frees up. So it's going to be a very, very, very interesting summer for Manchester United in the transfer market. Um, what we can achieve, I'm not sure, is as easy as Ed Woodward once said of us doing things in the transfer market that I was going to only dream of. I don't think we're at that level at this moment in time. For me, I think it's it's very straightforward. I agree with Dale that the first and foremost, the thing that jumps out to me is a central midfielder and ideally a central defensive midfielder because so many games are won and lost in midfield. 
And we see time and time again, even when we started hitting this sort of run where we're putting together some wins and we're starting to see some structure, there's often moments in a game where we're getting run through. And a lot of that is coming down, I think, to the legginess of Casemiro. There is one name that stands out to me, and I'm baffled that it looks like he's on the cusp of signing for Inter-Miami. Do either of you recall the Real Madrid and AC Milan legend Fernando Redondo? Does that name stand out to you? He's a three-time Champions League winner. Well, Fernando Redondo's son, Federico, is playing over in Argentina. He is 21 years old and he has a release clause that's believed to be around 10 million euro. And he is dynamite. He is 21. He's about six foot two. He's fast. He's strong. He can pass. He can tackle. And he's available for 10 million euro. I saw it actually today. I think Fabrizio had it up with a scenario yesterday that eight million pounds slash ten million euros Redondo moves into Miami and I was like, that's a that's a sign that we should be all over, like at that value. Yeah. Because even if he like again, I've gone back to it a couple of podcasts ago, we're talking about Brighton and, and their Brighton's transfer of activity and they bring in these players, they highlight these potential good players at a low end of the spectrum on the on the financial side of things. You bring in Redondo for eight million pounds. If it doesn't work out, who gives a shit? It's not it's yeah. not an eighty million pound signing. Who gives a shit? Take him. See how he develops. See what he can he can become. You'll probably get eight million quid back from again in three or four years' time at lower waters. So yeah, it's it's yeah. baffling that we're not in, involved in those kind of transfer situations. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I think the one thing with this one, right? I'm going to to err on the side of sentimentality because obviously Leo Messi is there, and you know the way that the Argentinians are that they hail Messi as 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 a walking god. So. It is highly possible that the prospect of playing with Messi for, for 12 months, 18 months over in Inter-Miami. And obviously he gets to learn alongside as well, which is another thing that I am taking into consideration because Sergio Busquets is there as well. And Busquets obviously can offer an awful lot of mentorship to him, just like Casemiro is doing for Kabi Menu. Federico Redondo is a name that we're going to see splattered all over every paper and website across Europe for the next five, six, seven, eight years. I think the guy is talented. And if I had my way, that's a guy I'd move for because ultimately it's not commanding a huge amount of, of money. On the next question, it comes from our own James Gorse. He asks, will United's inability to control and kill off games eventually come back to haunt them as it did in the Champions League? And just before we get into your answers, it's something that's definitely fresh in my mind today as we see other clubs play the next the next stage of the Champions League knockouts, and if we had been involved, I would definitely have been on an airplane somewhere this morning. So it's a bit of a kick in the teeth all around that we did make a bollocks of that Champions League group, um, and have the rest of a season with no Champions League football. Uh, from from the uh, the more simple level of being away with United fans around Europe having the crack. So, um, good question by James. What do you reckon? Is is our inability to control and kill off games going to come back to haunt us in the league? Sean, give us a, give us your thoughts. I think there's a distinct possibility that it could, and the reason I say that is, I'm not I'm not I'm not disregarding the improvements that we've had because they're there. But Onana has been made to work very very regularly in every single game we play because we're we're not necessarily gifting opportunities, but we're very open. And and sides we even saw it against Aston Villa. We saw it against West Ham. Now Aston Villa looked far more threatening than West Ham did, and Onana had to work an awful lot more. But we are giving an awful lot of opportunities to other teams. And I think it goes into a situation where if you continue to give opportunities to sides, eventually they're going to start taking them. Have we been fortuitous so far? I don't think we have 
But I do think if we continue to walk this tightrope of going 1-0 up or going 2-1 up and not completely killing off the game, as we saw against Newport, for example, like that game should have been dead and buried. And yet it just goes to show the fragility of the side when we concede one goal. And that really, really bodes back into an amalgamation of the injuries that we have, coupled with the lack of belief that I think is built up in this squad down to weeks and months of poor form. So for me, I think James is onto something. And if it's a situation that in the short term we can start controlling games, I think we just now just have to start being more clinical in front of the goal and taking the opportunities that we have because it may very well turn into something that we don't win games comfortably 2 0. Instead, maybe we might win a game 5 4 just by outscoring the team while we're starting to build this fluidity within the squad. Are we going to struggle with our, with our ability or are we going to keep our fortune going? If what we've seen in recent weeks can continue, we'll be fine. And I think we've every reason to believe that it might because I do get a sense that it, it's momentum. The team is very much together at the moment. And look, I, I think this weekend against Luton, it's, it's just another really good opportunity to get three another three points on the board. I have another question in from Jonathan Khan. Um, if Shaw is ruled out for a few games, what impact do you see it having given how important the left-hand side has been to our build-up. Now, I know we've already answered that, but I guess just to kind of to touch on it and what you touched on last week's podcast with Martinez gone, is if Shaw, hypothetically, if he was ruled out, what would be your answer to fitting at left-back? I have a feeling I know what Sean's going to go with, so I'll go with Brian first. Well, to be honest, it depends who's available. I mean, at the moment, right now, this minute, if Shaw was ruled out for Sun or for Sunday against Luton, you're in trouble because you're probably looking at a Lindelof left back or, or as Sean sadistically oh, no. joked about Amrabat, but I, I can't see that happen. I hope not. Um, if things yeah, were, against were Spurs, we've seen Wambasaka play there. We did, we did, and if things were a little bit more. Um, a little bit more positive on the injury side of things, you're probably looking at shifting Dello to left back and bringing Wambasaka in at the right, which is our probably common sense answer to this question and, and probably the routine or the route that we'd see Ten Hag go down. But again, it highlights how key the Shaw is and, and the lack of support we have in that position because you're, you're changing things around. You're sacrificing Dello, who's been in a rich vein of form for Wambasaka, and sticking Dello over left back where he's definitely not as effective. So it's, um, yeah, it's an issue, as we've said. For me, I suppose if Shaw is is ruled out, yes, it's 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 going to be problematic across the board because it affects us in defence and it affects us in attack. I mean, if you look at it in defence, look at how much we struggled when Lindelof came on. And now in credit to Lindelof, he was only coming back from injury, but he got absolutely roasted at left back when he came on. And that was a real, real danger area for us. In, in the context of going forward, Lindelof obviously doesn't supply the same anywhere near the level of attacking contributions that Shaw do. And I don't think a whole lot of players will, to be perfectly honest with you, because for one, as I touched on already, no one has the same sort of chemistry built up with Marcus Rashford, but nobody can supply the overlap and runs that Shaw does. I know it might have seemed like I was joking about Safi and Amrabat going in there, but I bring myself back to when Amrabat first came into the club. I, I know that he had an awful lot of issues sort of initially, but I think a lot of that can be stemmed down to the fact that he had no preseason with Fiorentina and there was a lot of idle time sitting there. 
And when he came in, I remember defending him an awful lot in the podcast because I was saying that he's not really getting an opportunity to solidify himself in his favourite position. He's been used as a plaster to cover up cuts all over the field. I do recall him playing a left back. And even though it wasn't all good, I know that there was some good moments there. So I think it is a possibility that you could see Emmerbach coming in. I think the likelihood is that Dallow will go out left back and Wambasaka will play right. But in something that we touched on already, Mason Mount and Tyrrell Malassi are both back training. Now, whatever the fitness level, especially with Tyrrell Malassi, who hasn't featured in I don't know how long, I don't think he's going to be ready. So if it was a situation that Shaw was out injured, I think you'll see Dallow deputising at left back. And do I think it would be problematic? I think it would be about as problematic as we could possibly ask for. It would really, really see just how big Diogo Dallo is in his undercarriage area, I think. As our podcast has become well accustomed to, we've actually had a bit of a change of fortunes where Dale Inuas O'Donnell has been replaced by Tyrrell Malasia Malasia from our lovely Sean. So Sean, I can't let you get away with that. I give Dale shit for it every week, so have to throw a little small joy with you there. I don't even know what I said, to be honest. What did I say? Tyrrell Malasia? Mabapu! <laughs> now we have Umbafa and Ineos so we're, we're doing well lads in fairness look anyone listening to this podcast we, we, we will try our best to pronounce many a name um, I think we have a lad do we have a lad asking a question on, on the Facebook page there during or today Sean do you want to try to give a go at his at his name it's quite an interesting one if you can find it I'm going to be honest with you now, I'd have to go digging for that. Um, I will dig for it while I'm talking, and if I can get it, I'll come back to it. Right before I find it, I'm going to ask one more question, and it's from Lewis O'Farrell, and he is saying that injuries have been a major issue for years now. And he's asking, do Ineos need to make the medical, fitness, sports science department overhaul a priority just as much as recruitment, Brian? Before I answer that, is it true? I, I think I saw something about us hiring a, a, a club doctor. Was it off Arsenal during the season? Is that that's right? Yeah. That? No, no, we did. Yeah, we hired. Uh, we took Arsenal's doctor. He was with him for over a decade. So who was looking after the club before that? Was it fucking Doctor Nick from from the Simpsons or what? With all these with all these injury issues, because it's kind of weird to go up middle of the season hiring a doctor. He wasn't actually wasn't much of a doctor, judging by the injury list we had. Um, yeah, look, we need we need to start focusing on that kind of that kind of structure at the club and those kind of positions. We we need to get we need to get more serious about what we're doing at the club because we've been we've been looking after jobs for the boys for so long and shoehorning people into positions that may, maybe not don't deserve or they maybe shouldn't be in or they're not extremely qualified for. So, Ineos coming in gives us a bit of a glimmer of hope where we're going to be. As, as you said earlier today, putting the best in class into particular positions, that's that's literally what we've been lacking. We've been lacking that, that oh, how, do I, how, do I, how do I describe it? We've been putting, again, we've been putting lads into positions that they shouldn't be in. Um, we replaced Ed Woodward with a fellow who was Ed Woodward 2.0. We're, we're starting to make like the Barada signing, or if you call it a sign, or the appointment of Barada is, is a step in the right direction that way. I would hope and I would expect to see with Ineos coming in that this is the, the direction we're going to go. We're going to really scrub up on our structure, our, our background, our, our back room panel, we'll call it for the want of a better word. And that can only help us in, in the long term because, as we said, it's a project, a long-term project, but that project requires the right people in place to get the project started and to get going with it. I mean, you need those key, those key components to start working together and come up with a plan and, and get us a plotter or plotter route back to the top. 
Yeah, and as I've been saying week after week after week, that we just need everybody singing off the same hymn sheet, don't we? And and whether that's physio, whether that's scouting, whether it's coaching, whether it's administration, down to the playing staff, we just need everybody singing off the same hymn sheet and everybody working towards one collective goal, and that is getting Manchester United back to winning games, winning trophies, and filling up that trophy cabinet. That is the only thing that matters, and that has been forgotten over two decades of mismanagement. Jim Radcliffe and the Ineos group coming in, they've been saying all these lovely things, and everything they've said has hit home with, with the fans, and you're like, yeah, that's what I want to hear, that's what I want to hear. Wouldn't it be absolutely amazing, since they've made such a statement about focusing on the football and focusing on the results and, and getting us back to the top of football, not business, put football club back on the fucking crest. If that's not a statement of intent, I don't know what is. Put it back in the crest and get rid of that. I don't know what you want to call it, whatever. When they changed that crest from football club, it, it literally, it should have given us all the big, massive neon sign over going, yeah, well, we're not going to be a football club anymore. We're going to focus on everything but football and we're going to rot. That now would be the cherry on top of the cake for Sir Jim to come in, shift the crest back, put football club back at it and go, right, lads. This is how serious I am about it. We are a football club and that's what we're going to do. I'm dreaming, but I'd love it. And on that particular bombshell, I think it's fitting that we should part ways for this particular week. Boys, it was an absolute pleasure as always spending this time with you all. For each and every single one of you, wherever you get your podcast, you make sure you hit that subscribe button. It's going to help us to generate more content. And... Look, let's just face it, it's the best thing to do. It's a nice thing to do. You've got this far. If you're listening and you haven't pressed subscribe, what are you doing with your life? If you want to get speaking to me, you can do so on Twitter at SeanConnolly85. Mr. Brian Murphy, how can they get you? Catch me on Twitter on at DayTrippingRed. And if you don't subscribe, I'll call around and I'll shave your dog. It's always the dogs. It's always the dogs. Last but not least, the return of the king, Mr. Dale O'Donnell. How can they get in touch? Get me on Twitter at O'DonnellDale. Thanks again for listening and to give an extra bit of help to the podcast if you give us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and whatnot, it would go a long way. Thanks again. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.